Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for this first episode of the Melbourne AWS User Group podcast. Um, again, we will be talking about what is new in the world of AWS, and this time, as you may notice from the dates, we'll be talking about what's new in May 2020. Once again, joining me for this are my good friends Jean-Manuel and Guy. Hello. Hello. Very happy to be here. And we're happy to have you. And as always, we'll start with finally in Sydney, all the new stuff that we got here. And we've actually got quite a few again this month. Mm. I guess one of the big ones to come out, and that's just in general, is Macy. Yeah, very nice to see a, a significant price reduction on Macy um, and to see it in Sydney at the same time, because um, it's a you know pretty interesting service and quite quite useful for some customers, I think. But yeah, it was very much priced at a point where it, you were going to have to be have some pretty serious money to 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 really um, enable you to really use it full time. But yeah, they've spent many months apparently re-architecting the data discovery engine and dating their ML models and also apparently making better use of S3 to so they've been able to through a combination of all this sort of re-architecting they've they've been able to find uh, all these savings which is maybe an object lesson for all of us in in re-architecting our workloads and making them more cost optimized so they're eating their own dog food yeah i have a look at the price it's still not cheap right it's like a dollar a gig um so it's a dollar a gig in the us and a dollar 25 here in australia uh and if you have a terabyte in your s3 bucket the first time you ingest it that's two thousand dollars and then every time you have the terabyte that's two thousand dollars so it's not for the you know faint-hearted uh, if you want to scan a lot of data a petabyte of data that's going to be a, a serious amount of money yeah, but imagine how much more it was was before the eighty to ninety percent. Oh yes, I, I, I didn't look at it because it, it was not in Sydney at the time, so I didn't look at it. But um, you know, two thousand dollars per terabyte. Um, don't put your movies in there. <laughs> you really need to pick the bucket you want to scan to make sure that you don't have that extra cost uh, scanning data you don't need. Yeah, let's make clear here. But what Macy actually is, it's a service that scans for PII data and masks that so that your log files that might have personal identifiable data are no longer containing that data. And a breach of that data, if, the, if there is something that happens and it gets out, that can be a lot more costly than $2,000 per... Per, per terabyte, yeah, yeah, 100% agree. So, I mean, for PCI-regulated enterprise or PI information, GDPR and all of that, that absolutely makes sense, yeah. A couple other services that were released. We actually got two that are only in preview, which is Fraud Detector. I haven't played around with that myself yet, if I know of you. No, but I had a look at the doc, and it's really for people who run carts and, and online purchase and stuff like that, where they can put some email in the back and, and then try to, um, you know, detect people who um, do guest checkouts uh, and then people who do online payment that coming soon, I think, and some account verification to try to avoid fraud on your website and using the Amazon kind of history and knowledge of, of this kind of product. So it's not for everyone, right? It's really focused on, on people who run the shops online. Yeah. And the other preview service is RDS Proxy. We talked about this last month as well when it became available for Postgres and we were lamenting that it wasn't in Sydney yet. Yeah, and they were listening. Yeah, it's still in preview. Yeah, yeah, it's been in preview now for a long time, I think. Yeah, since reInvent, yeah. Yeah, well, with a bit of luck, it'll show up in the What's New again next month and we can talk about <laughs> how it's now available. Yeah, that's right, yeah. There was a, as well a price reduction, right, uh, between uh, regions. So that's when I look at it is between EC2's instances, right? Because when you do uh, transit getaway interconnect, when you do uh, die connect getaway connection and stuff like that, that's a different pricing. So this pricing is really from EC2 to another EC2 into another region. So instead of paying the internet egress cost, you pay a reduced rate to talk to that other region. So if you have VPN or other things like that to talk across region, that's a, that's a good uh, reduction in price for nine cents. So it's good. Yep. We always love price reductions. Yep. Yeah. And the last thing that was announced is the 
RDS Data API and Query Editor. This was really awesome. Yeah, announced just this morning that they are now available in Sydney. Again, this is not something I have really used. Yeah, no, I, I haven't used it either. Um, the Data API, as I understand it, it kind of just gives you another way of querying your RDS without having to use SQL, basically. You, you've got a, a, an API to, to do those sort of operations instead. Yeah, it's a HTTPS endpoint, yeah. Yeah, the API is actually nice for serverless actions, from what I understand. So, so under the hood, is it managing, it must be managing the database connections and doing all that sort of stuff for you? Yeah, it says that um, you don't have to install an ODBC connector or ODBC client. You can do it through uh, HTTPS, uh, through the uh, RDS query editor, basically, and, and then manage that with, for, for you. So it's, it's interesting um, that, you know, some customers don't want to have uh, internet, oh, I'm sorry, um, connectivity between on-prem and the database. So that, that could be an option to be able to do edit without having full uh, SQL query from from workstation, so that's interesting. Yeah, it's for Aurora though. Yeah, only. And yeah, obviously then for Aurora Serverless, it's definitely a nice way of interacting. And speaking of serverless, let's have a look at some of the things that were announced for serverless. Anything that jumps out for either of you? I think it's it's um. There's obviously a, se- a second step functions related announcement today. Um, so the other day there was the step functions supporting code build, the service integration, um, which is interesting. And um, so step functions now, I think it's got an integration with code pipeline and code build. So one way or the other, you know, sort of int cross-directional, if you know what I mean. And today the support in SAM for step functions, which I was just looking at before we did this meeting, but um, that kind of looks interesting as a way of, I guess, creating your step functions, gives you a, a SAM-based uh, way of defining defining your uh, state machine and deploying it, which might make it a bit easier to... Um... Yeah, often with anything cloud formation, it seems a bit verbose and you end up setting a lot of flags and things like that. And hopefully with Sam, that becomes a little bit um, more readable for step functions, at least similar to what they do for basic Lambda functions with just the serverless function there. That makes sense, yeah. But the step function with code build, that, that will probably help some people orchestrating some image building or some testing. And then, you know, if errors come back to this and start again, why well, was probably... Code code pipeline couldn't do that, so that that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the two the two use cases they they call out particularly is um, running multiple builds in parallel. So if you if you've got like a multi component application that needs to deploy, you know, from this repo, this repo, this repo, this repo, you've got multiple pipelines for those individual application components. Yeah. You can you can have them all uh, deployed in parallel using set functions. Um, the other use case that they they mentioned was um, that you could you know disable testing for a period of yeah you know, so you could run you could run step functions and and tell it you don't want to run your test um, suite and the logic branch will just uh, skip that bit and go you know straight to the next step. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it it, it is interesting. I think especially coming out of you know when you're working with customers who have existing maybe gnarly complex um, deployment deployments that they're currently doing because they've got a lot of tightly coupled um, sort of application components. You know, they've got a front end and a back end and, and they've got, you know, this thing has to be updated before that thing and all, all those sorts of non-ideal sort of scenarios. Uh, step functions, I think, can, can sort of step into that, uh, to excuse the pun, a step into that um, gap and uh, and give you a way of, of of orchestrating some of those more complex scenarios. Yeah, control your email flow with Amazon Amazon Workmail using Lambda. I was just going to ask um, Arjen how how he's going with his with his Outlook rules um, using Workmail. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing, right? Oh yeah, uh, it's it's wonderful. I can be very negative about this, or I can be. Yes, this has potential. On the one hand, it seems like overkill for basically most rules that you would want for your email. Mm. 
On the other hand, it makes it a lot more extensible. Yeah. But I suspect most people would just prefer to have simple checkboxes yeah. they can tick or filter rules or things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, uh, I'm just trying to think. I mean, I use Workmail um, just because I needed to move my email somewhere and I've, I'd hosted it myself for many, many years. And of course, when I ditched all my own hosted infrastructure, uh, I wanted to put my mail somewhere and I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll see what AWS Workmail looks like. And, you know, it's a little bit on the pricey side, I guess. It's like five USD per month, I think, per per mailbox. But I've got lots of different email domains, so they all just go to the one place. And I just use client-side rules to, to, to move them around. So it works quite well for me. And, of course, you can just, you know, set up client-side rules too. And I'm sure most people probably would use them. But if you want server-side rules, I guess Lambda, as you say, it's it's certainly going to give you all the things. You can certainly do pretty much anything you want to do with a, <laughs> with a, with your email using using that. Uh, is it is it hitting a, a walnut with a with a sledgehammer? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um but you know, I guess they I mean, Workmail strikes me as one of those services and I've really got no idea how many customers they've got on it, but but I they've probably got a few bigish corporate kind of customers on it who probably insisted they give them something to do server-side mail rules so maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's why i don't know like an out of office or a, a spamming checks or something <laughs> do that with lambda in python yeah anyway shall we move on yeah move on containers everybody's favorite <laughs> your favorite <laughs> i'll just i'll just sit here and wait for you to finish wake me up when you're done I'm very happy that this morning actually something from my favorite did get added, um, or maybe yesterday, which is that Filegate now encrypts data uh, stored on the ephemeral st- uh, volume. Right. So that's good. Yeah, for but he, he encrypted not with the CMK, right? He encrypted with a general uh, uh, AWS key. So um, for regulated enterprise, it's much better because at least it's encrypted. Uh, but they still, I think, not going to use it until they can provide their own keys. But yeah, I should say it is an improvement. So oh, definitely, yeah. Improvements are always good to see. EKS is updated to support Kubernetes version one point sixteen, which is nice. So that it's a couple less versions behind um, whatever current is, if it's still one point eighteen or one point nineteen already. So yeah, every every three months, Kubernetes releases a new version, right? Yes. So um. Uh, and that's fast pace. So what AWS does is you can have only three version uh, available. So by the 30th of June, all the 113 version will be upgraded automatically by AWS to 114. So it's very important that you do it yourself, I think, because you can break things. But you can have only uh, 16, 15, 14 now inside the AWS space with EKS and not uh, the full the full suite. So interesting to know. And remember the security model from AWS, right? That's your problem. You need to upgrade it yourself. Otherwise, they're going to do it for you. So, Yeah. In a way, that is a bit of a downside with EKS that you need to keep up on upgrading your versions. On the other hand, it means that you should also uh, make sure that you're patching all the latest issues that way. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So no more one thirteen uh, from the thirtieth of June. I think as a as a policy that that's a good thing, and I'd love to see it. You know, if the world worked that way, uh, in in this in the you know in the technology space, because we we've all I'm sure uh, suffered the consequences of of um, environments where things have got so badly out of date that the problem of keeping it running at some point becomes a major problem. So in a way, it's kind of nice that you've got AWS kind of making that decision for you and making that decision for your boss. So, you know, your boss can't say, oh, no, don't don't bother up- updating to the latest Kubernetes version. We'll just let it run for the next three years. It's like, well, yes. sure, boss, you can do that, but it's going to stop working because AWS is going to stop supporting it. They can't do that. <laughs> we insist we want to keep running 1.16 for... The next three years, they can't, you know, they and often, you know, used to Microsoft style, you know, life lifespans for things, and uh, that's it. The, the the less of that we have in the world, the the better, I think. Yeah, it's a managed service, so I I understand AWS they need to push people to update like RDS and stuff. They don't support all the version to uh, 
to the ancient time, right? So yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, good thing. The other thing I find interesting is that they now in ECR there's now support for um, multi-architecture images through a manifest list, so that you can have the same image released for multiple um, architectures. Obviously, the only two that are relevant for anything you run in AWS are Intel or AMD 64 and ARM 64, but it's still good to see that so that you can more easily mix and match your ARM instances with Intel instances. Yeah. I had a look at the CDK for Kubernetes. Did you, did you have a look at that? Um, it, it's a, it looked like the same CDK for the AWS CDK. It looked like the same process, right? It supports TypeScript and uh, Python. And then from that CDK, you simplify your YAML manifest file uh, into a simple command. So um, that generates manifest file for you that can work with EKS, that work with on-prem, that work with other Kubernetes. So it's, it's interesting. It's like, AWS open sourcing that product to help people creating YAML files. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to play around with it yet, and it's definitely something I want to, because if it makes managing that easier, even if it's just for those, all those environments where the only thing changes is one or two variables, uh, if it cleans that up, that would actually be really nice. It's in alpha release, though, so it's still a long way to go to have a full version. But um, you know, it's it's uh, it's, a, it's an interesting product and really based on the same philosophy that the AWS CDK for CloudFormation. You get from a simple Python or TypeScript to a very verbose CloudFormation. So it's the same same idea. And the good thing, even if it is just alpha, is that you can still use it to generate your templates because you don't have to completely shoot it against your cluster so you have a chance to review and so it might still make things easier yeah let's move on though to ec2 and vpc okay so there's I mean, there's a few things in here um i, I know um Jean-Manuel, you love networking so you probably like the idea of the route analyzer oh yeah i love this one um i, I mean it's not for everyone right that's right your your weird your weird obsessions are, are welcome here <laughs> <laughs> you know when you have you know have customer who have multiple transit getaways across multiple regions across multiple uh environments then then that's going to help a lot i think uh, to really uh, uh, analyze the route, see where your routing problem can can become a problem, and then test your route as well before you deploy them. I found that you know, Transit Getaway is fantastic product, centralized, multi-AZ, all of that, but it doesn't prevent you from human error. If a guy changes a route, you can bring down your whole production environment. So I think that product in complement to Transit Getaway Network Manager will help really uh, networking people understanding the impact of the change they're going to do on routes with the iConnect included and, and multi-region. So that's going to be a very, a very nice product. And it's all, um, you know, uh, visualized with a nice GUI. I, I like it. I like it. Cool. Yeah, the EC2 aliases. It was kind of, um, I, when I looked at that, I thought, oh, that, that's, that sounds good. And then I sort of dug a little bit deeper and um, it's, it's a bit weird. Like the documentation actually doesn't mention EC2 aliases in it, which you'd expect given the announced uh, aliases for AMIs that, that, that the documentation would say that, but that it doesn't. So it's actually just a new parameter type in Parameter Store that checks that your AA, your, your AMI ID is valid and present in the account. So, so your your what ID? Your AMI ID. <laughs> <laughs> your AMI ID. <laughs> what? what, what? <laughs> Are you picking on me? <laughs> for that, yes. Okay. Um, I think that's what. I think that's exactly. I'm pretty basically quoting the documentation. I think. But then, in your cloud formation template, you will be able to have that alias, like you use with keys, right? You have an alias yeah, yeah, for the yeah, keys, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then you can change your IMI ID in there, uh, yeah. and then you know update your patch every month and your yep. new golden image, and your code doesn't yeah, yeah, change. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that, that, that doesn't right. help. Yeah, but I mean, you, you could you could do that before, and people did do it before, just using Premise Store, themselves. right? Yeah, yeah you, you just <laughs> yeah. You, you put the AMI ID in, and you just you did it yourself. So all yeah. it really is is they've just added a data type, which actually does some checking for you. So yeah, it, okay. so you you can't insert something that's wrong. That's that's really yeah. the release. That's yeah. what they've that's what they've added. But but if you go and look at the documentation, you'll see it 
actually doesn't refer to aliases uh, in, in there. It just says there's a new parameter type. So it would be interesting to see CloudFormation, how we're going to call, uh, instead of doing a map now uh, for AMI per region, are we going to do a, like a fetch to SSM or what, what do you think? What's going to happen? Arden, do you think? Uh, that's how I've been doing it for a very long time. I always point, uh, I've always had in the build pipelines that build the AMIs, they will write to a parameter store object. Yeah. They will write to AMI ID there once it's done and all good and things like that. And then the CloudFormation template will have a parameter mm-hmm. for that parameter store object. Every time you run CloudFormation, it will pull the latest out and it will be there. So how do you seed your parameter store? You, you have a CloudFormation to, to do the seeding of the SSM parameter and then you have another uh, template to do the AMI deployment. So it, it depends, actually. So if you just use a base image, so AWS has already offered yeah. um, many of the standard images as parameter store objects. Oh, the latest one, yeah, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Yep. So you can use, obviously, using those is easy. And otherwise, you'll make it part of your build pipeline for your images. Yeah, so if you're using Image Builder, right, and you, you're, you're creating new, new AMIs from that, then you'd have a process that just updates the parameter store. Yeah, in each account, and then yeah, you, yeah. yeah. So you so, so you can see why I was confused, right? Because it <laughs> they made it sound like it was a, it was a new product, and it isn't really. Or they made it sound like it was something something new. Which yeah, which if they'd say if the announcement was we've now got a, a an AMI ID type in parameter store, then that would have been fine. <laughs> anyway. Never mind. It's all good still. So, you know, not unhappy. There is other SSM, I think, update where uh, you can fetch AZs now, you can fetch regions, you can fetch other things in there. Um, I think that, that helps as well a lot for when you use CloudFormation, when you use Terraform or the type of, of uh, uh, tool uh, to fetch information for the account. That's good. Yeah, definitely. So the other thing um, from here that I personally I'm really interested in and I'm sad that it's not available in Sydney is the new M6G instances. Um, so these are the new Graviton 2 processors from AWS um, which are the ARM processors that they've now basically changed to just being a suffix to other instance types. But from all the stats that they showed at reInvent at least these seem really powerful for a lower price. So especially if you are running things like containers or applications that are not tied to Intel architectures, this might help with cost savings as well as performance improvements. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But not in Sydney, you said. Um, so it's the same. Another networking stuff, I think, uh, which is great, is bring your uh, uh, IPv6. So now you can bring your own IPv6 to AWS and, and uh, a lot of regulated enterprise need, cannot use, you know, generated and they want to control that IPv6. So you need to own that IPv6 range. Obviously, you need to be a slash 48 uh, if it's public or 56 if it is private, but you can bring it to AWS and start consuming it inside your VPC or inside your uh, other uh, load balancers and stuff like that. So that's, that's good. And that's in, in Sydney as well. Two other network things, there is two private link coming uh, this month, one for license manager, which is, yeah, okay, uh, nothing special, but then one for uh, ECS, which I think uh, is pretty good um, to be able to... SES. SES, sorry. S-E-S, yes. Uh, and ECS is in Sydney, uh, but reading the doc and going well in detail, you can't receive from Sydney, you can only send. The only two regions you can yes. receive email is Virginia, Oregon, and Ireland. So it's interesting. You have the private link. You can send an email through staying in your VPC and accessing the AWS services this way, but you cannot receive them. But what would that even mean to, to receive email with private link? Because, because the internet, right? No, no, it's not that. It's probably my mistake as well. Private link is one way only anyway, right? So um, it's a NLB uh, in the back end. Um, so you, but you cannot use SES in Sydney to receive email. So 
I don't know. I don't have any customer using SES here, but um, do you guys have one? Uh, how they send email from Sydney and then they receive it from Oregon? How, how does that work? It's usually just only sending. Yeah, that's right. I think that's ninety, probably ninety plus percent of the use use cases are probably just they're using SES to send outbound mail, not receiving it. Yep. Let's have a look at the security stuff now. So actually, quite a big one that came out this morning. Um, that is interesting, and I need to see it in practice before I have any idea how it's going to be used. Is that you can now use AWS SSO with Okta? Yeah, yeah, I saw that too. Okta gets in everywhere, don't they? And it's free. You know, you have a free version of Okta, which is which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can do it. And and you know, I know. Arjun, you always rant about SSO is manual, is GUI, and stuff like that. I found out <laughs> that you have that system with cross-domain identity management. So you create the user in Okta and get pushed automatically to SSO. That's creating your automation link, right? That's, wow. that's the idea. Well, that's only for user provisioning. User provisioning was um, possible already with AD or um, even Azure AD. Oh, okay. <coughs> Um, so it's interesting <laughs> that you can now <laughs> it's interesting that you can now do it with Okta as well and then it sounds like the idea is that you then use this to provision your Okta users with their AWS access so I'm guessing and again I haven't tried this out that you as a user you would log into Okta you click on AWS and you get redirected to AWS SSO, where you can then see all your the account with the page, yeah, the page they display, yeah, yeah. Instead of a um, the, the generic role picker that you have usually from within Okta. I wonder. I wonder whether. So, I mean, from my fading recollection of Okta, um, it's got quite a lot of sort of tools for configuring users. So would those tools be used to configure what access to applications within AWS you had? Do you think that that's, that's supported or is it, or would you still need to be doing that kind of setup in, in AWS? Or can you perhaps specify in Okta that, that this user has this role when they're in, when they're in, um, when they log in? Well, in Okta, you can sync that with your AD, right? So you have the Okta user management, and then you can have AD sync to Okta, and then Okta sync, <laughs> sync to SSO. <laughs> so how many how many other identity providers can we pop, pop in this chain? Um, <laughs> well, I assume that the AD that Jeremy mentions here is just Azure AD, so that we are completely <laughs> triggered. Trigger warning. <laughs> It's very, it's a very popular service and probably quite good. I, I shouldn't. But at scale, I heard it was expensive. Uh, you, the user cost for Okta at scale uh, is, is quite dear. It yeah. is. Uh, uh, it is yeah. expensive. It yep. is expensive. Yeah, we 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 priced up um, Okta versus um, All Zero, and they both they both end up quite expensive at, at at scale. Like we're talking hundreds of thousands of users. They they do they do add up. But identity is a big thing, right? And yeah. Yeah, look, but I mean, uh, I think if you weigh up the, the the benefits of offloading that stuff to to a to a capable um, SaaS type product, I think it makes sense still. Like yeah. even even at you know even the sort of numbers that we're talking there. Um, Managing your own ADFS on prem, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no pass. <laughs> it's just not. It's just not interesting enough. I just I, I want all the boring jobs to be done by by robots. So. You know, that's a boring job. Yeah. Um, but speaking of identity management, um, client VPN now supports SAML2 as well, which means you have more options now for provisioning users there, um, which is good. I didn't check if it's actually integrated with AWS SSL yet. It would be nice if that was the case. Oh, yeah. But yeah. You create I've an IDP seen... apparently an IDP with SAML2, and that should work. So that's, that's probably just what SSO needs, right? Yeah, I've seen other um, AWS services, like JDBC connectors for Redshift. They support several 
SAML2 um, services, but not AWS SSL. All right, okay. Hmm, interesting. Uh, security on EKS, do you want to talk about that? There's a new guide that just came out, and I think it's, it's really big and really massive guide. And, um, well, I like it because it's, you know, show people that, excuse for my rent now, but EKS is, is, is a cloud on top of the cloud, right? So on top of AWS. So with the shared responsibility model, um, people think that EKS is a managed service and AWS is going to do everything for me. It's not true. They just manage the nodes for you. Uh, sorry, the, the masters for you, not the nodes and, and all the rest, all the security plugin and monitoring and logging and, Load balancing integration and CNI plugin and all of that. That's your problem. And I think that shows the size of, of the task to run an EKS cluster in production in AWS, uh, the proper way. So it's a good guide, but big one. Yeah. So it means people have some reading to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and didn't we have a candidate for, um, didn't it always do that in this, in this section too? The, um, zero downtime. Certificate rotation. That was that's been announced, so that's kinda handy. It means you you can yeah. Rotate your certificate with zero downtime. Yay. Yep. And this is for AWS SSL. Yeah. The config rules from uh, performance pack. Um you, you could do it only from the master account, which is not the best security posture before. Now you can do it from a delegated member account. So you can push config rules across all your org at the OU level and then make sure that, you know, you have EBS encrypted or you have um, S3 non-public and stuff like that config rules pushed for your org, but you don't have to do it for master now. You can do it from a security or audit account. And and they, they use that naming because it matched with Control Tower, which I'm sure that probably going to pop up into Control Tower very soon as a, as a new feature to be able to push config rules across. Yeah, I like this ability. Mostly because hopefully that means more and more services will not need to run from the master account. Because there are still, like we've talked about AWS SSL before, you need to run that from the master account, which means that you need to give people who need to manage manage users or manage groups, things like that, which, as we've mentioned before, is all click work still. You need to grant those people access to your master account. Well, usually you would want the least number of people to have access to that account. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. And the biggest problem for me to use the master account is you cannot apply an SCP on it. So this account is kind of a naked account that you can't apply any control on it and you just rely on the goodwill of the user, which is really not a good posture for an enterprise. So uh, master account should be empty, should have no VPCs, no users, just the minimum billing stuff. Yeah. Yep. Let's have a look at DevOps now. I see one product basically showing up on this list mm. um, a lot. <laughs> yep, it's a, it's a fine time to be a Java developer. <laughs> <laughs> Code Guru, yeah. But um, has anyone seen the new Cloud9 theme? Uh, I checked, it's just a jet dark theme. It was in preview right. for a while. It's, uh, it's yeah. just dark now. You can have your, your Cloud now look like your, your, your uh, um, studio code. So, yeah, nothing special. Just black. That, that was probably the, the order. Make it look like Visual Studio Code. <laughs> <laughs> no one's using it. How do we, how do we get developer adoption? But it is in Sydney, right? It came recently, Cloud Cloud Nine. So I need to have a look at that. Yeah, it is actually quite useful at times. Um, I've seen it used a lot as well for things like workshops, where it's easy to get something spun up quickly. You don't have to worry about people having access on their local machine. And if you just spin up a Cloud Nine instance, you can run everything from there. Do you mean it's been developed for the AWS SA to do trainings? <laughs> Basically, that's 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 my only experience of it too. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm, actually, I think I think there's a. I think I heard of a customer the other day who was actually using it for their team. So I mean, I guess I guess it all takes all sorts, right? So yeah, it probably makes sense. Yeah, I know that it's recommended often by the programming and tools workshop that's also here in Melbourne. They often use it as a quick way to get people started because they always run workshop for the meetups and this is just a good way to get people so they don't have to worry about setting up the configuring everything on the local machine yeah makes sense yeah and um can you use it for pair programming like if you're both remote i think it's a vague idea that you can 
Um, maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's a faulty, faulty recollection. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you can. It's um, it, I just I just pulled it up quickly. Yes, you can. Um, you can do collaborative development, code together in real time. It's got a little graphic of of a screen share with the dark mode, uh, showing three developers busily tapping away at the same piece of code. So there you go. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. So may, so maybe in this maybe in this age of of COVID and 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 increased um. Uh, working from home, Cloud Nine may have a re- renaissance of because um, it's the only way that a whole bunch of people can can sit together and work that they couldn't do it before. Well, where where, where, before, where before they was they would sit next to each other in the office. Maybe maybe they're going to adopt this instead. So there you go. We've gone from mocking it to saying how 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 useful it might be. That that could work. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Shall we move on to the databases section? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so one thing caught my eye was the um, data migration service expressions. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That seemed like a kind of nifty, nifty feature. So you can, you can basically, while you're doing a migration, while you're doing a, a sort of a, a ongoing sync um, with DMS, you can. Uh, Pull. You can transform data essentially in in the process. So you can. So a simple example is you can add a add a column to the target table that is like a full name column, and then you combine the first and last names from the source um, table and put them into the full name column in the target. Yeah, well, and check the time timestamp and stuff like that. I think that could be massive. It's it's, it's look like tiny announcement, but I think for people who run data pipeline and data ingestion. Instead of you know syncing and then running glue on top of that, they're going to be able to do it on the fly. I think it's going to be very, very useful uh, for data ingestion in, into uh, AWS Cloud for data lakes and stuff. Yeah, I think so. I, I think um, it may find uses beyond migration. I think it may, maybe they'll have to rename it at some point. But um, yeah, so another one of the features was you can mark a row that's been deleted from the source. Um, in the target without del- actually deleting the row. So that, that again, that's kind of potentially a, a neat feature, right? Um, the other thing you mentioned was table headers. So you can you can grab the timestamp that a commit happened um, on the source table and and write it to a column in the target table. So you can actually pull out that sort of data, you know, as as you're doing this this thinking and and um, and essentially end up with a richer target. Uh, table than you than you had in the source. Yeah. So I mean, for, potentially for archiving or for auditing, um, that that'd kind of be neat. Like if you if you had to have a, a like a keep permanent record of of changes that have happened to the data and and deletions. In fact, GDPR it could it could be very useful for GDPR because one of the challenges of GDPR, as you probably know, um, you know you can't you can't just delete personal data. Well, there's two sides. One, you have to delete personal data. The other thing is you don't want to delete personal data, right? You've got to you've got to keep a record, but you've got to delete something, but keep a record of it for a period of time so that someone can actually say, "Give me my data," right? So maybe there's there's some use cases here um, using these sorts of services that um, that might come into their own in that sort of in that sort of world. Anyway, yeah, I thought it was interesting, interesting, an interesting new capability. I've seen as well the um, SQL reporting SSRS uh, can run on RDS now. Uh, and that people have been waiting for that feature for probably five years or more. Um, and you can run the portal, you can run everything, and you can run SSIS as, as well uh, inside your RDS. That's available only for 2017, so not all the versions. But um, you know, there was a lot of EC2 instance still hanging around running this type of services because people couldn't put them on RDS. Now uh, there is no more excuses. RDS is the SQL of choice. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, not 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 that I give a hoot about SQL Server personally, but um, but yeah, it, it is it is one of those technologies that's often, as you say, it's often it's often uh, running on EC2 instances because because of these sorts of shortcomings or limitations of of how they've been implemented in RDS in the first place. So yeah, to see to see um, the capability being added so that people can make a choice to use RDS instead of instead of spinning up EC2s. 
that's got to be welcome, I think, to anyone who works in this space. Cool. Shall we move on to AIML? Ah, and I know you want to talk about Deep Composer, so off you go. <laughs> well, I wanted to give you the honor. Um, <laughs> well, I'll be completely honest. I haven't looked whether or not is is a big improvement. So, so what does a real time visualization look like? So you don't know. You don't know what it looks like. No, I don't know what it, I don't know what it looks like. I I feel like it because what would be my favorite my favorite thing if this announcement meant that you can now see key presses on the virtual keyboard. Right. That that is what it means. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's not. No, the case. no. I, I'm sort of imagining you know an iTunes visualizer style thing. You know, just lots of like flashing colors and shapes moving around the screen all excitably in response to your um your fantastic piece of music based on uh wonderwall or whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably not that either i'm pretty confident it's not that either <laughs> it's probably something far more mundane so what we can say here is that none of us really care enough about deep composer to have bothered looking at this yeah i think that's probably fair uh, Arjen, do you have a keyboard from reinvent last year yes i got the keyboard i got the official AWS branded one, yeah. which is double the price if you want to buy it from the <laughs> same exact model without AWS branding. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but you didn't pay for yours, did you? Because you're special. I am so special. I got to stand for hours in line <laughs> until I could get one for free. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Well, money, money well spent in the form of time. Um, Kendra, there was the other thing from this section that I thought we probably... It's probably worthy of a mention, just if you're, uh, I mean, I, I haven't seen it in anger um, used, but the, the idea of it's appealing. Um, it's, Kendra is the natural language search service, so it can, it can connect to your ServiceNow, Salesforce uh, instances, and basically query them for uh, results based on natural language searching and ML. So, you know, I don't know how frustrating other people find. And I know not everyone has to use SharePoint, but, um, you know, searching for things on SharePoint's a, a very demoralizing experience. It never worked. You, you search stuff and never nothing came out, ever. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and I, I, I think the, the, this, this kind of thing, you know, as increasingly, I guess, enterprises invest in these monolithic tools like ServiceNow and Salesforce, um, you know, people's chances of actually pulling out the information or far, even knowing where to look for the information that, that they want is probably um, compromised by just the sheer complexity and size of them. Um, so, you know, I, I, I haven't seen any user experiences of it saying how awesome it is, but I love the theory of it. And, and I, you know, if anyone can do it, I'm guessing... You know, AWS can probably have a good crack at it at least. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, because the promise is literally that it will surface the exact answer to your query. That's right. Instead of the usual search where, oh, it might be in this file or this page or this. And then you have to click and search inside the page or document. And But, yeah, that's the promise. And we'll have to find out how. How well it lives up to it. Yeah. And I think the the idea too with the natural language search is that it's it it kind of takes the next step too of not only understanding a query written in natural language but also that it has its own internal un understanding of the links between the language and the 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 request you've made and what other things that might relate to. So, um, you know, it it does attempt to be intelligent about that. So anyway, we'll wait and see. I guess. How, how it pans out. And let's go over uh, anything else that came out that was generally other cool stuff. I don't know, technically speaking, not cool. Um, it's ultra warm. Boomtish. <laughs> That's right. It's 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 ultra cool. So yeah, I mean, it, I, I I haven't used it, but the um, idea of it, as I understand it, is that you it's making better use of S3 to 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 store stuff. Um, so you can store, you know, much, much larger volumes of, of uh, data that you can still sort of bring into the search. 
um, and it does a lot of clever things with, um, uh, um, well, it does clever stuff to to sort of pre-cache, pre-fetch data from S3 to make it to to, to make it available to to your your queries. So it's like making that all that data that it's actually stuffed on S3, making that kind of transition into a, a search experience um, uh, less, you know, less less like you, you you know you're pulling it up off a slow storage. It's it, kind of hiding all that stuff for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the that's the sort of the key to the the the, the price um advantage of, of ultra warm for for you know large volumes is that it is leveraging S3 um and doing a lot of clever clever stuff which you know I don't understand but uh, clever stuff with um you know prefetching stuff as it's needed. So, yeah. That's that's good. Another thing that got a lot of attention this time was Trusted Advisor. Yeah. Five new cost optimization checks that's to help saving money. Yep. That's nice. And there's now a couple of ways to get a, a multi-account summary as well so that you can get the advisor to tell you everything that's wrong in all of your account instead of going one by one. Oh, yes. I remember that the people have been developing Lambda function and all that to go and interrogate and try to do a centralized report. So oh, that's good. That's good. They came out with that now. Okay. Yeah. So one of the options for that is uh, the Trusted Advisor Explorer, which is an AWS solution. So that is basically, as you say, the AWS version of people building their own tools. Uh, you can deploy it in your account and then it will interrogate all the accounts. All right. That's not but, a service that's build your own with CloudFormation. Thank you, AWS. Yeah. But the other thing is the Systems Manager Explorer, which has it built in, but only for some of the checks. Right. Okay. It mentions that it's for cost savings, performance and reliability and some and security. So I'm not, I'm really not sure why they released both of these, considering they basically do similar things. It's AWS. That's that's their speciality, having multiple yeah. multiple products that not only sound the same but do do similar things. It's a five five people, yeah, five people pizza team, right? And then keep running as fast as they can uh, in almost different direction. But that's why they release product at different times. Yeah, maybe innovation. Yeah. The best win. The um the cost optimization checks are kind of interesting because they're, they're sort of cutting the lunch of of companies like Cloud Health, aren't they? Or products like Cloud Health, you know, doing the recommendations of RIs for for all these different products: Elasticsearch, Redshift, Elasticsearch, and RDS. So they're providing recommendations for RIs in all of those cases. Do you think Cloud Health would be annoyed about that? I mean, people use that for a lot of that sort of stuff, don't they? It's always, um, unfortunately, and I'm sure that companies like Cloud Health know this better than anyone, AWS rolls stuff out themselves to do the same things. And what they will usually have to do is make sure that their solution or way of working with it is better. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a it's a tough gig, I think, trying to trying to develop something that, that kind of, I mean, and I think AWS probably I I don't know whether at some point they they they're going to get enough of a sort of reputation for doing this that people just stop developing for their platform. I I guess that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But um you know, I'm sort of reminded of Twilio who who probably really made a huge impact on the 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 market with the you know um telephony and and all that and and of course uh, we're always running on AWS from day one and I wonder how they feel when Connect came along. Um, you know, allowing people to do many of the same things that Twilio had built up a business doing for many, many years. It's kind of a re- repeating pattern that, um, mm. yeah, it would certainly be pretty annoying, I think, <laughs> if, you'd, if you'd built a built a business around it, around it and then AWS came along and said, oh, actually, we're in that market too. Speaking of things that are also in the market too, so... I got your um, comments for around the recent summits, which will show up in a soon-to-be-released different podcast. But AWS actually released a service for running media events. Yes. Well, 
just a little bit too late. <laughs> See, it wasn't it wasn't ready in time for the summit, so they had to they had to do something else. But this would be this wouldn't have had those problems, Arjen. That's that's the that's the that's the message to take away from this, I think. Yeah. Or maybe after the summit, they just had to quickly build it, and <laughs> yeah. this is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what they can do when they're really motivated. Yeah, that's right. Could be. Yeah. The other thing in this section that I was going to touch on was the 90% price reduction for IoT device management jobs because you know I, I like IoT so anything that's got IoT in the name immediately attracts my attention I'm, that's that's my networking you know JM <laughs> no no worries <laughs> um but yeah that's uh, that's 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 especially if you if you're you know if you're actually using AWS to do fleet management of your IoT devices uh that would be a very welcome change I think because um, it was get it was pretty pricey to 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 do this and this so this will basically take the price for the first uh, two hundred and fifty thousand remote actions per month to seven hundred and fifty USD so it's point zero zero three um, so it's uh, what's that that's a, a third of a cent basically um, per per action and that's things like uh, if you wanted to to reboot your device or do a firmware update or to config change stuff like that. Yeah, so if you have a fleet of thousands of IoT devices, I'm sure you'll find that change, and you need to manage them, um, uh, you find that change in price makes that service a lot more attractive. Oh, that volume, that for sure, yeah. Okay, I think that's it then for today. JM, Guy, thank you both again for joining me and discussing everything. Always a pleasure to discuss with you guys. Yes, thanks Thanks for having us again, Arjen. Appreciate it. It's always fun. And I also want to have a shout out to our sponsors, Enabler, our gold sponsor, and AC3 and CMD Solutions, who are silver sponsors for this year. And everybody else, thank you for listening. And hopefully we'll see you next time. See you Bye. next time. Thank you. Bye.